I think if we are connected to where we live, we understand the changes in our space. Um, and nature play is so involved in that because that's how kids connect with the outdoor world. You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future. Or we like to call it HAT for short. And you, my dear listeners, are our mad hatters. HAT is an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation. Whether you're a planet-conscious parent, groovy grandparent, fab foster carer, terrific teacher, awesome auntie, or any other member of the extended family. We're having conversations with leading doers, thinkers and shakers in climate action that will inspire you to stay optimistic, feel part of an ever-growing movement and take actions that fit into your busy lives. Just like you, we want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life. So, who are we? I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer and parent and co-host of this podcast. I'm the one providing the Aussie accent. And I'm Helen Hill, and I'm an educator, author, and designer. The one with a very exotic British Bolton accent. Hello, and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Dr. Amanda Lloyd, an educator with extensive experience teaching, researching, and adventuring outdoors. Amanda completed a PhD focused on the advantages of outdoor learning for primary school students. She uses this experience to develop nature play programs for children and deliver professional learning for teachers. Amanda was the inaugural executive officer of Outdoors NSW ACT, where her advocacy work focused on liaising with government agencies, cross-sector communications and national collaborations. She's currently the Nature Play Manager at Centennial Parklands, leading the Nature Play for New South Wales project. You'll often find her outside bushwalking with her two-year-old. This episode is supported by Centennial Parklands, one of Australia's most popular and historic public parklands, with almost 31 million visitors a year. In this conversation, we'll talk about outdoor play, the importance of nature play, and connecting children with nature. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to have you on here because I think nature play is something that Helen and I are both very passionate about. So we'd love to start with what led you to focus your life on outdoor education and nature play? It's a really great question, actually, and one that I've considered many, many times as a teenager I started um, bushwalking quite a lot and I thought at that point in my life I either would go towards a career in the environment or in education and somehow I've managed to put the two together and like 20 years later I've come full circle and I couldn't be happier where I landed but I think the beginning of the story is a really important one for, for kids and for parents who are wanting to work out how to connect kids to the outdoors. I had a childhood blessed on the south coast of New South Wales in Australia where we spent our holidays and any spare chance um, at our family's holiday house that we've had for many generations in a big multi-generational sort of family situation. And we spent our days roaming around the headlands and going down sand hills and jumping in the ocean and riding bikes. And because I was the eldest, I wasn't the leader at all. One of the younger boys was actually, but I had the responsibility of the younger kids. And I think that has then led, you know, many, many years later, four decades later into my life. Every day I'm promoting being outside 
for kids, for adults, for families, for whoever it might be, but to embrace everything that it has to offer. And I think back to the very formation, you know, when I was a really young kid, I was given those opportunities to go and explore in a completely rugged environment and I, I can't be more grateful for the start that that gave me, not only in education but in my personal life as well where I've grown up to to go on multi-day bushwalking adventures and take our own son out, you know, at a very young age overnight hiking and I think the younger we can get kids involved in that, you know, the more they grow to love it, whether or not they go off like I have in a career in that space or whether it just means that they are set up for problem solving through life or they have a clear direction of their place in the world. I think we can really establish firm bonds with the outdoors early. And for me, it's led to here. For others, it will lead other places. That's lovely. It's so inspiring to hear that it's like come from such a young age as well. Can you share with us why you believe nature education is so important for these young people? It's something I've been reflecting on more than normal. At the moment, Australia is in such a time of upheaval with fires and floods and windstorms and a whole lot of dramatic things going on around us. And I think if we are connected to where we live, we understand the changes in our space. And I think it's important to connect early because then we're understanding more of what's going on. Um, And nature play is so involved in that because that's how kids connect with the outdoor world. It doesn't have to be in an organised way. It can be going to a national park or a natural space with your family. And that's the earliest way we connect, you know, with the outdoors or even in the backyard or on your balcony, if that's what's available to you. My message is just get out as early as you can. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And I think that's something we really encourage at Be The Future as well, because, you know, that exposure to to nature and all the, the beauty and wonder that it holds is so important. So I guess obviously there's organic things you can just do outdoors, but what are some of your favorite nature play activities that you like to engage young children in? Oh, that is such a broad and brilliant question in the same regards. In a school situation, I'll go there really briefly because it's the harder one. I think any lesson that can be taught indoors, um, you know, that's fine. But any lesson that can go outdoors that might be focused on, I don't know, measuring, you know, the sandpit or the vegetable garden, you know, why not take that lesson outside and do it, do it there? If it's about learning about the environments that you're surrounding you, go outside in a school and do it. It could be as simple as taking your, your English lesson outside and writing the poem under the tree about what surrounds you. I think in a school situation, as much as you can get outside, do it. Put it in that real-world context. Make it as fun, enjoyable as you can for the kids that are in your class or, you know, whatever your grouping might be. It gets slightly more complicated when you're trying to link it to curriculum and things, but it doesn't have to be. It's about thinking logically. Probably my favourite nature play activities at the moment, being a mum of a, of a two-year-old, is simply enjoying being outside. Seeing the joy and wonder on his face regularly is pretty special. What I really like to do, uh, you know, as in a family situation is go for simple bushwalks, see what's around, explore different places. And by simple, I mean they can be 200 metres long. You don't have to go a long way. Sometimes the puddle in the car park is the day. Um, you know, if it's a kilometre or 10, that's fine too. Start really thinking about what senses you can engage in when you're outside, whether it be looking at the different colours or 
doesn't have to be something big and grand. And that's my big message with Nature Play with families. Start small, do what's achievable. Some of my favourite things to do with groups of kids that might come in holiday programs or, you know, after school activities, that sort of thing, is to really focus in on storytelling and crafts and get those children working with materials and experiences that they haven't had the opportunity to before, um, whether or not that be clay or bark or water to sort of create and inspire something that's spoken to them. I also really love building shelters no matter which situation I'm in um, and that can be with sticks or tarps, whatever it might be, because I think building a shelter teaches you so much. You think it's about building but it's actually teaching you resilience when it falls down and you've got to pick that thing back up. It's teaching you problem solving and maths when you're looking at the different sizes of sticks to put together and I think it's such a simple activity that it's achievable on a small scale or a very grand scale. I've worked with groups of kids over holiday programs and a simple, you know, one metre by one metre shelter can entertain them for, you know, five or six hours. So I think my message in terms of activities is do do what appeals to you because it's not going to be the same for everyone. It might be creative. It might be developing your gross motor skills on a walk over different terrains or it might be just something that's so simple and could be going and sitting outside and listening to what's going on around you. Um, I think the message is just just do what's do what's right for you or your family or you know your school situation because the the question is hugely broad and brilliant. Oh, I absolutely love that, and I, you know, as an educator who's worked with well kids of all ages up to adults, that really does make my heart sing. Actually, to actually hear you talking about some of those activities and. Just the how much more inspiring and imaginative it is than, you know, being stuck in that cube of a classroom, you know, with the same wall displays, but that have been up for a year probably. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. <laughs> I yeah. think sometimes the activities that we can do with our children in schools are a huge extension on what we do with our families, but then mm. vice versa. I've worked with groups of kids in schools over, you know, a period of years, and you will often find whatever activity we've done within the school setting replicated around the township where you're living because those kids take those activities from school out to their families and it's this way of, you know, that doesn't happen normally. It's just this fantastic way of, you know, this is what I did at school but here we go, we do it as a family now. And I think that's um, there's a real joy in that, that there's a real sense of pride that we're learning in place and those traditional boundaries of learning are gone. You learn wherever you are and I think that's really powerful. Yeah, and also the parents learning from the children. That's that's an incredible thing that, you know, we our generation didn't know as much about the environment and the kids are obviously much more aware of it now and, and we can learn from them. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, you've mentioned a few benefits already there, but what are the key benefits to this outdoor learning then for children? Yeah, it's another really great question. You're really on, you're on the mark with the questions today. I think the outdoor learning and outdoor education research field is it's not new. Research in this space has been around a really long time. And traditionally, the outcomes have focused on things like social, emotional well-being. Um, they're focused on academic achievement in small groups of kids. They've also focused heavily on, you know, the benefits to resilience and risk-taking when we're outside. The theory is that if you're teaching children how to take risks when they're two and three and five, 
they learn how to take small incremental risks that are of benefit to them at that point in time so that when they get up to the teenage years and they're starting to drive cars and, you know, go out on their own more and more, they already have that sense of boundary in place. So if we're teaching that at two and three just by going outside and climbing a tree, the long-lasting effect of that one is pretty huge. There's been a lot of research done into that space. What I'm seeing, though, at the moment in the last few years, like I'm talking the last four or five years, is a huge development of research that's going further and further into the benefits of why the outdoors is beneficial to all people, not just children, but in the context of today, children. We're looking at things like the increase of immunity due to exposure to organisms, and there's never been a time where that's more important. We're looking at things like the developing of executive function. So things like goal setting and independence and conflict resolution can be developed so easily outside. Um, there's increasingly more evidence that children who are in our modern world are struggling with gross motor skills. When you look at a group of children who've spent time outdoors, they can walk on uneven surfaces. They've got a better sense of balance. Their whole vestibular system is developed to a higher level. We can also go outside and think of it as a preventative health measure. There's research done to say that kids being outside are two and a half times more active than if they're inside. So if you're thinking about health benefits, that one speaks for itself. We don't need to say much more. Another one in the health space is the huge incidence at the moment of myopia. And being outside, children are developing their whole range of eye strengths, looking you know, near and far and wide and um, really focusing in on things. So where I'm seeing the research go at the moment is a really exciting space. One of the things that was very prevalent in my PhD was that um, just from being outside every single week, so the group I worked with were outside for a half or a whole day every single week because they were five years old. By the end of the year, they had an increase in academic achievement. That was quite clear. But the basis of all of that was that their language and communication skills had increased so greatly because they had practiced talking from being outside, that experimenting, uh, experimented using high-level language that they wouldn't go inside and write in a story. Um, I tracked them from the beginning of their play to their writing and the spelling at the end was pretty interesting, but the vocab was, you know, far beyond what you'd expect. And I think over time we're seeing um, greater research into very minute but hugely significant areas for kids being outside. And I really do look forward to what the next few years bring in terms of what we're finding out for kids. Wow, you have just blown my mind, Amanda, because I think I've heard about a lot of benefits before about getting out in nature, but that is just so much more broad reaching that I've heard before. And that's incredibly exciting just to understand more and more about just the incredible breadth of what getting outside and playing outside can do for kids and for mm -hmm. adults. The thing is that's playing on my mind is, of course, there are a lot of children that have a lot less access to nature and the outdoors, you know, particularly marginalised, disadvantaged families, and, you know, of more diverse backgrounds sometimes, particularly in certain parts of the world. So if children don't have back gardens, they don't have access to green spaces close by, what can families do to try and still bring nature into their lives? Such a great question. Again, my mind is really spinning with, with so many ways that we can answer this. And the first one that we really need to take note of is that our First Nations people 
were the first people engaged in the outdoors and they had a deep connection and um, skill in that space. And there's been work done with, with Aboriginal communities in Australia with those kids in those spaces to develop a real uh, connection with their school curriculums and what they can learn by being outside. So there is, there is a lot of good things happening in that space and there always has been. The other key message from that question that I really want to be clear about is that nature for children doesn't have to be huge and grander. It doesn't have to be grand. It can be tiny. Um, there's you know, a whole history of the forest school movement in the UK that quite often use the disused spaces by their train lines for their play. And I think as adults we think that nature has to be big and beautiful, but children don't need a huge space. They can have, you know, that little park around the corner. If that if that's what you've got, that's what you go with. You know, if you've got access to a whole range of spaces, absolutely wonderful. You're in a you're in a really privileged position like I am down on the south coast of New South Wales. But if what you have access to you is a small park with, you know, a couple of trees and some dirt and some native grasses, you'll be surprised at what the children can do in there. Um, they can build little mini shelters. They can start to learn about the different colours of the environment. It doesn't have to be the big space that adults presume they need. But in saying that, one of the big things that does need to happen is greater access for everyone to green spaces. I know there's government policies out there at the moment that are working towards that, but we have a really long way to go. Another really great thing that's happening in New South Wales at the moment is the Everyone Can Play documentation, which basically means that they're trying to develop play spaces so they're inclusive for people of all levels of ability to get to, that people can readily access them, that they're shady, that they're suitable for kids in wheelchairs or parents in wheelchairs, and, and that everyone can really have, have that benefit of a local green space. We do have a long way to go. And if what you've got accessible to you at the moment doesn't seem big, I encourage you to embrace it. And when you get the chance, go beyond where you are. And um, hopefully over time we see an increase in green space in suburbia for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, something that I would love to bring up, because I know I love this space personally, I've been there a lot with my son, is Wild Play at Centennial Parklands. And obviously you're currently the nature play manager there. And, you know, for those who haven't heard of this place, it's incredible for families to immerse themselves there. I'd love for you to kind of talk through, you know, what wild play is, what the thinking is behind it, what it offers families who those who haven't had the chance to um, hear about it. Yeah, the wild play garden at Centennial Park is a very, very special place. And I can tell you after all the rain that they've had in Sydney recently, I was up there last week, it is, it's looking like an absolute magical forest more than I've ever seen it before. The Wild Play Garden is um, the result of many years of hard fundraising and work from the Centennial Park Foundation to develop a space that, um, that children can visit within the city that's completely wild. It's given them access to, to risks and um, water play and rocks and everything that you could ever imagine that a, that a playground would um, all within Centennial Park, which is easily accessible by the public transport network and things like that. So that conversation we had before about getting places 
I think the wild play garden really opens that up for everyone. It's also given children who are really used to urban environments access to that wild space that people who live regional do get access to. And it's in a very, um, it's in a very calm setting. I'm always amazed when I walk in there that the amount of children splashing around under the, the waterfalls and the water play space, if as soon as you walk away from that, even one or two metres, the whole area just goes down in noise and becomes this calm outdoor space for children to to roam and there's no set pathways in some of it so they really do have freedom to to experience what nature really has to bring there's an area of sensory garden so if children don't have access to a herb garden they've got all of that there that they can go and immerse themselves in Um, the education team at centennial park also do programs mostly in the space next to that, which is their education area. But there's a whole lot of excursions and uh, children's holiday programs and programs for little kids that um, families can get engaged with. It's a really special place. And I do encourage everyone to either go visit or have a look on the website and see what they've got to offer. Yeah, it really is beautiful. I mean, I I was looking at the pictures thinking, this is exactly what I want my back garden to be. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's just beautiful. And I can see how it would really be just a place of imagination for children to play and just explore. It it is incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, And what you're saying about the sensory and all of that as well, that is something that's quite um, a passion of mine, making sure that everything's accessible and inclusive. So that's a huge well done on that project. It's incredible. I think sometimes (laughs) people look at the wild play garden and they see the big, they see the wonderful water play spaces and the big slides and climbing equipment. And we sometimes forget to look at the peripheral where Mm. the great places of imagination and the bamboo tunnels are and, you know, the sensory spaces. And I think the whole garden as a whole is done like that. So there's places of loud, but there's also places of stop and listen. Um, Yeah, so it is accessible for all, like you've just said. Oh, it's incredible. So what gives you hope for the future of our natural world then? You know, this thing that you embrace so much. Yeah, the kids give me hope. The children that I look at when I go outside and either if I'm working up at Centennial Park with a group of teachers or children or if I'm, you know, out in the bush with my own family, I think the joy and the wonder that I'm seeing on kids' faces as they're learning to connect. And for not for all kids, this hasn't happened from when they were little. So this can be happening at 10 or 11. And when you see that joy come over their face of, oh, wow, I'm in this really special place and you can see it tick. You just go, there is hope. There is hope that our kids are going to be connected and learn to love the world. And that's that's absolutely brilliant for, for us as a whole society. But it's also great for them when they start to see the benefits to their own self. So I have hope just by looking at the kids and I hope that they have the access to it and we're the ones that enable that. That's absolutely beautiful, Amanda, and that's probably a great part to end on. Thank you so, so much for chatting to us today. Really appreciate you talking through this very inspirational ideas all around nature play. No, thank you for having us on. I think it's a it's a space to watch, you know, as we go into the future and some areas have taken it on like the Wild Play Garden and others are yet to adopt it. But I think the more families that have access to the outdoors, the better. Thanks so much for joining us. Your initiation into the Hatter Tribe is now complete. We really hope this episode inspired you and that you're coming back for more. 
If it did, please review, subscribe, and share this episode with a curious, climate-conscious friend. It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. And there's lots more where that came from. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our fabulous guest. And if you just can't get enough of us and manage to grab another few minutes peace in your day, do come hang out with us on social channels where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety and gloom into fun and playful action. And not forgetting you can regularly see us making a fool of ourselves on reels. Together we can hope, act, thrive.